Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Game of Thrones 2 Electric Bookaloo. I'm your host, Anthony. This week, entertainment reporter Kim Renfro from Insider is here to talk about Sansa's final chapter in this first book. Kim, of course, is the author of the unofficial guide to Game of Thrones, which you can buy anywhere that you buy books. If you'd like to complete your journey with Steve and I, as we move through his first viewing of the show, we are over at Double Dragon. We've dropped a couple episodes over at Double Dragon, so meet us over there. Do a search for Double Dragon wherever you search for podcasts. I also have more of my conversation with Kim Renfro over there about House of the Dragon. Okay, without further ado, here is insider entertainment reporter Kim Renfro. Kim, I kind of feel like this chapter, you know, we've seen some really horrific stuff in this book, but this chapter is one of the darkest chapters, I think, in the entire book. Yeah, (laughs) it really, uh, rereading this, I was like, oh, in our first two pages, I want to say, Sansa is like experiencing suicidal ideations and gets Absolutely. molested by Mr. Pycelle. Holy moly, I did not remember that. And I almost thought, am I reading this right? Because, you know, I guess he's he's supposed to be a doctor, but what, why does he have to touch her everywhere? And the detail you that know? she was being held down yes. by, like, the, the vision of this child being, like, oh held down gosh. naked in her bed and, like, examined against her will when she's, like in the deepest grief of her life and it's just yes it's just a nightmare it's a nightmare i mean i guess she does have literal nightmares as well but yeah you have her in basically locked in this room knowing that her life is never going to be the same again and really kind of being forced to become a political player yeah in a way that, you know, she kind of was a political player before this, but in a way that she knows she's working without a net now. Yeah, or that she, like, there was a level of naivety to the way that she was approaching being in court because that's how she yeah. was taught, you know, all of the things Absolutely. that she was taught about being a young woman um, and a potential future queen she thought she was doing all the right things. She thought that like she could trust Cersei and that Joffrey really had like true loving feelings for her or like affectionate feelings for her. And it's like, okay, the blindfold has been fully ripped off and her father was executed in front of her all in one blow. 
and it's really yeah it's just really tragic to be inside her head for for seeing this yeah she is uh, you're right she kind of this chapter more than any other chapter is a move away from sort of the naivete of childhood and almost toward a political cynicism I, you know, she's like remembering all the different things that she's learned, you know, uh, from that, from the Hound, from Peter Baelish. You know, she's thinking through these things that people have mentioned to her over time. And she's realizing this is nothing like the stories I've been reading. Mm-hmm. You know, in the real world, monsters win mm-hmm. and the heroes lose. So, yeah, it's it really sort of is this decided move toward political cynicism, it seems to me. Yeah, and to me reading it, it's 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 really misogyny laid bare, right? Like when she when Marin Trant first beats her on behalf of Joffrey, she has this realization. I like I wrote down this quote where she says, he did not hate her, Sansa realized, nor did he love her. He felt nothing for her at all. Mm. She was mm. only a thing to him. Mm-hmm. And this idea where she's she's seeing extraordinarily brutally for the first time the way that these men and even Cersei don't view her as a person with feelings mm-hmm. or a person worthy of any type of like empathy. She's literally just a tool to them to do whatever they wish with her body. And yeah. It's like seeing seeing her realizing that um, is is just so awful. And then you also kind of hear another one that I wrote down uh, is when Joffrey's talking to her about Cersei and says like Cersei had been crying because Jamie was captured. And and Joffrey says women are all weak, even her, his mother, even her. And I'm like, it's funny. Yeah, Cersei because, taught him this. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because he's so. He's so in her pocket at times. Like he'll say, mother says, I have to do this. Mother says, you know, you have to do this. Mm-hmm. So he's appealing to her as as kind of this authority. He he, I think he knows that he's not as politically savvy as his mother. But he's also kind of been taught this hyper-aggressive masculinity. And I think he's trying to perform it mm-hmm. in a way that kind of proves that he's the king yeah and he you know he's doing he's clearly i mean he's sort of doing the opposite he's he's being anything but uh, chivalrous here i think and she also kind of sees him for what he is for the for the first time right i think she's been kind of trying to deceive herself about what he really his true nature but now he's just like this cruel man with worm lips mm-hmm. <laughs> you God. know he's got he's got these these soft red worm lips <laughs> yeah and i like and there's something like especially i don't know the fact that he has his grown men soldiers mm-hmm. beat her on his behalf is like he can't she sees that he can't even do it himself or that, yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, he's just the worst. And, like, and, yeah, her seeing that and also her seeing that, uh, in a way, her and Cersei are, like, kind of in the same boat, but for entirely different reasons. Like, Cersei is part of the reason why Joffrey 
is the way that he is. And like the fact that he doesn't respect her is almost like partially her fault because she's taught him to think about women this way. She just, Cersei maybe assumed that she would be the exception to the rule, but that's not how this works. Um, And so like Cersei eventually realizes that she's a little bit out of her depths with the way that Joffrey is behaving. And Sansa, of course, didn't sign up for this at all but she was drawn into it by Cersei um yeah uh, well and also I think that Robert is to blame mm-hmm. to a certain extent here because why does Cer- why does Cersei tell Joffrey that a king shouldn't beat his right. wife it's because Robert did the same was an abusive her. husband yeah. to her so when he would hit Cersei I think Cersei's thinking my son's never going to hit his wife, but it's almost making it worse to have these grown men do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, it's just it's just such a it's such a rotten system from you know everyone everyone involved everyone involved has sort of conspired to make Sansa's life totally miserable. Mm-hmm. And then you get like the weird. Like, the hound is so interesting because, like, he's doing the bare minimum to to help her, right? Like, yeah. he's not actually protecting her because, I don't know, he feels like oh, he can't. Oh, I think I read, hmm, I think I read him a little bit differently. I was thinking he's doing the bare minimum to to do Joffrey's bidding. Oh, I think he's I think he knows like we we all have to play this this part here and you're going to have to play yours and that includes getting beaten from time to time. But I do think that he's actually trying to help her cuz I don't think he loves Joffrey at all. So I think he's I think he's he knows he's being used by this system. He knows he's sort of a, a tool of Joffrey's cruelty. But I I think he's trying to do something for Sansa here that she doesn't quite understand. Yeah, he's he's certainly trying to protect her in I guess what he believes is like the safest way of like Yeah. Can't be too obvious about it because then Joffrey's just going to punish us both, but uh-huh. at the same time it's like I view that as like as the barest minimum effort of like I don't right. I, like. I don't know. It's, he's it's still, interesting. He's, he's resigned to play that part, right? In the castle. Yeah, if he was a true knight, if he was a true knight, he would whisk her away, sure. and yeah. bring her to safety. But he's kind of trying to say, "Okay, we're stuck here. This this kid is cruel. Um, you have to learn to endure this cruelty, and I can teach you how." Yeah. Um, which is really okay. sad. <laughs> it's it's totally it's sad for cynical, him and it's sad for her that like it, this absolutely. seems to be the, the only option. So yeah. All right, I'm gonna read my synopsis here. Okay. And, and uh, all right, so Sansa's locked in her room, weeping, dreaming, and refusing food. She dreams of her father and his beheading, and her nightmares. Sir Illyn Payne is stalking her with her father's sword, ready to strike. This lasts for days, and as attested by the uneaten food that is piling up and spoiling, she is not eating. Pycelle visits her and gets totally creepy. Then Joffrey visits. 
She's taken from her bed by the hound and told that she will address Joffrey as your grace. And then she's beaten by a mere entrant for insulting the boy king. She's instructed to attend court later that day. After bathing and covering her bruised face with makeup, she goes to court. Joffrey vacillates between disinterest and cruelty in the cases brought before him. When the day's justice has been settled, Joffrey takes her outside to show her her father's head. He shows her Septim Ordain's head, too, and threatens to mount Rob's head, too. Sansa suggests that Rob might win and take Joffrey's head. She's beaten again by Trant and thinks about throwing Joffrey from the parapet, but doesn't. After all, she is a woman of courtesy. So, Kim Renfro, what shall we talk about? You want to talk about a character, a theme, a plot point, or shall you and I climb the ladder of chaos? Um, I think I want to climb the ladder of chaos. All right, you go first. Okay, well, one thing I just wanted to point out about this chapter that I love is the foreshadowing with Jano's slint. Mm-hmm. Do you know about this? <laughs> foreshadowing in what way? So when Sansa is observing Joffrey in court, she trains her gaze for a certain time on Jano slint, who's like sitting there mm. and looking very smug in his like cozy position. And she mm-hmm. she remembers that he was the one who like grabbed Ned and put him on his knees so that he could be executed and she says that she wishes that someone would just throw down jano's slint and take off his head and And that's what john does that's what john does four books later and without i'm pretty sure without knowing that jano's slint had that role in ned stark's death like jano's has just done so many other awful things up until that point that he's deserving of this execution at john's hands and i just because John and Sansa have such an unexplored relationship uh-huh. in the books, uh-huh. really, like they in the books, we haven't really seen them interact at all. She just thinks of him as like her bastard brother. But I just love this idea that like as she's in this point of desperation and wishing mm-hmm. for a hero, it's like John is slowly becoming that hero a world away from her. I love and it. will eventually totally do forgot. like what she wants. Yeah. Absolutely. I totally forgot about that. I'm so glad, so glad you brought it up. Now, John, of course, I think if John knows that that he played any role in Ned's death, he might not have killed him because I think that John would think, I don't, I don't want to do this out of vengeance. Mm-hmm. I want to do my duty. Mm-hmm. And in that way, he's sort of like the true knight mm. that Sansa reads about in her stories, right? Right. He's just following through on... Uh, this has to be done. Yes. This this and, this is justice. Mm-hmm. This guy has to die. Mm-hmm. Right? So and the man who, God, I'm gonna mess it up. Man who issues the sentence should swing the sword. Like yeah, right. John's doing what Ned always taught him. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh gosh, I'm so glad you brought that up. That's <laughs> that's that's fantastic. Now, it's so interesting to me that Sansa is sort of surrounded by. I mean, King's Landing is just the worst place on earth. Mm-hmm. Right? So <laughs> you're not, it's, it's going to be hard to find any true knights in King's Landing. Um, but I think that she is learning that there is kind of no such thing as a true knight. And yet, I almost feel like Jon Snow is the closest thing that we find to a, a true knight in this story. I mean, I guess Brienne, too. Yeah, right? I would say Brienne of Tarth supersedes yes. that maybe 
Right. Um, but of course, we weren't, we're not going to find it, her in Sansa's stories, right? Well, again, the irony that like later in the books, I don't know if it's irony, whatever the best word is, but like that Brienne is eventually trying to find Sansa and protect her. Right. Um, of course. Which again, like the show got us to the point that they finally met. The books aren't there yet. Um, uh-huh. And we don't know what's what uh-huh. how that's going to shake out. But yeah, again, it's like the I think it's, it's not necessarily that there's no chance for a true knight. It's that none of the true knights are coming from the places where Sansa expects them. Like they're not in the Red Keep. They're not or that the yeah they're not the, serving the, system the king. of King's Landing mm-hmm. is just not a place where you can bring a true knight. Like like what does Joffrey do? The first thing he does is he gets rid of Barristan Selmy. Yeah. And so it's almost like the system is constructed in a way so that if you are a true knight, you're kind of not welcome. Mm-hmm. So there's no one really to save Sansa. Mm-hmm. And I think she kind of has to resolve to learn to be a survivor Mm -hmm. because if she doesn't do that um she could easily just be discarded and once she's discarded then her life is forfeit basically Mm -hmm. yeah and i i think that that's like the moment that you see her tap into that is when joffrey makes her face her father's head and she just like effectively Mm. dissociates she's like i'm just i'm she what does she say? She says, "I he can make me mm. yeah. He can make me look, but he can't make me see mm-hmm. or see but not look or something." Yeah, he can make me look at the heads, but he can't make me see them. It's uh-huh. such a good way to phrase that. Of like, okay, I'm gonna have to like sit here and witness all of these things and like experience them, but I don't have to like in the moment let them sink into my head. <laughs> Because I she, well, like she I feel like she thinks that she won't survive like truly feeling all of her feelings in this yeah, moment. I yeah, and I think that she's learning that her interior life has to be prote- protected. Mm-hmm. It has to be yeah, isolated. It has to be shielded. She has to create this political exterior for herself if she's going to live. <laughs> yes. All right, if she's going to survive, yeah. Joffrey, she's going to have to sort of have this hardened political exterior. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, I found this passage. She says, he can make me look at the heads, she told herself, but he can't make me see them. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. We need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think I want to return to the hound Mm -hmm. just for a moment here because I think that he is a guide in in a way. Um, in the, you know, it's, sim- it's similar to, you know, eventually he'll kind of become one of Arya's first teachers. Yeah. And in, in this way, and she's sort of right at the beginning of her life as an adult here. You know, even though she's a child, she's being forced to grow up. And I'm just going to read this little passage. It says, uh, this is when she's back in her room before they go to court. Sir Marin and Sir Aris followed him out, but Sander lingered long enough to yank her roughly to her feet. Save yourself some pain, girl, and give him what he wants. What does he want? Please tell me. He wants you to smile and smell sweet and be his lady love, the hound rasped. He wants to hear you recite all of your pretty little words and the way that the all, you know, sorry, the way that Septa taught you. He wants you to love him and fear him. So I kind of feel like he does not have to give her this advice. Yeah. And, you know, earlier on, he kind of, you know, she's noticing like he, he could be rougher. Like he could be, he, he's being a little, he says. Almost you know, gently. Can, almost gently. So he is being rough, but he, she knows that he could be a bit rougher. And I think that this is all kind of him playing this part for Joffrey. And he knows I've got my part to play and she needs to learn hers and I'm going to help her learn her part. Yeah. Um, Which is totally messed up, right? (laughs) He's totally a goon. Um, But he kind of is a self-aware goon and he's trying to help her be sort of a self-aware queen. Yeah. And I think it, it also speaks to her. Like she's very perceptive of that in him, which Mm -hmm. I think is really important too. that. Like, I don't know how many times have people called her stupid, or I think Joffrey calls her stupid at some point. Like he, Oh, he says even worse. He says that Cersei says she's stupid. Right. Oh God. And she's like, what? She said, what? The queen was always so nice to me. Yeah. (laughs) And she's, she's not, she's just, um, Mm -hmm. she's been sheltered in a very specific way. And so the fact that she's able to tell like, okay, he could have shoved me a little bit harder or like, you know, he, he pulled me up from the ground, but he's not hurting me. Um, And, and she can tell that, that there's something different about the way that he's treating her as opposed to the other men in the room. Um, Well, and also at the end of this chapter, mm -hmm. she's what, what, you know, she sees him near the edge and she's just thinking, I could just do it. It didn't even doesn't even matter if I go over with him. I could just push him, and it'd be over. And I should do it, do it. She's like telling herself, do it. And as she's kind of staring at him, mm-hmm. the hound leans, and it's sort of an italics between them to tend to her bloody face or something. It's one of these little moments where the hound is subtly doing something to protect. Joffrey, but I think he's also doing it to protect Sansa. Yeah. Because if Sansa lunges and she fails, then, you know, her life is now totally, it it totally gets worse, right? It's like she's dead either way. Either she pushes him, she pushes him over and goes with him, or she pushes him and is executed for 
or she Kingsley. tries to push him and yeah. and then yeah and then then he then he tortures her you right. know, even worse even worse so i think that he does i think the hound is doing these subtle little things to kind of make her life a little bit easier um while also sort of reinforcing this horrible patriarchy right yeah it's almost like he the hound wants sansa to live right he 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 cares about her enough that he is ensuring her survival um mm-hmm. and sansa i think in this chapter like we know she's thought about taking her own life she at this point isn't sure that she wants to be alive she kind of i think is in this headspace where maybe it would be better for yeah. this to all just be over and so i think that we're kind of seeing that push and pull between he's trying to save her life and she's trying to figure out if she even wants to be right. saved at this point. And so that right. is to, for her to be in that space and to at least have one person um, showing her that, Hey, like maybe you can survive this and here's mm-hmm. how um, is probably very significant to her in that moment. And if you think about the hounds backstory, you think he really does believe that this is how things are all over the world. Yeah. He doesn't like think, well, if I save her and bring her back to Winterfell, then her life's going to get easier. I, I I really do think that he thinks this is what life is like. Yeah. Everywhere for every woman. And this woman, this girl has no one. And I'm going to have, she has to learn. She has to learn how to survive this world. I, I was thinking back, this is a very, very strange obscure detail this is sort of like Sansa's second chapter in this book so this is sort of on the road to King's Landing they've just left Winterfell she kind of stumbles backward and she's about to fall and she feels a hand kind of support her and hold her up and she immediately thinks it's my father Mm. And she realizes it's the hound, and that's even more scary to her, right? Mm-hmm. Because he's got this horrible burnt face. But I do think that a lot of times in in fiction, we need to pay attention to cases of mistaken identity. Yeah. Because I feel like the author is trying to tell something. I do think that in that moment, the hound is playing a fatherly role in a very messed up and weird and, <laughs> you know, really, really odd way. Yeah. But I do, I, th- I think that he knows Ned's dead. This girl has to grow up. I'm going to help her grow up, mm-hmm. politically speaking. Yeah. I'm going to give her the mental tools to survive yes. in this environment. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. I mean, okay. So let's talk about Pycelle. This is sort of a, this is sort of a, a show difference. Mm-hmm. Um, because I remember seeing this is sort of the end toward the end of the first season. You get this this scene with Picel where he's you know he's sort of playing this decrepit old yeah guy, and then he realized that he's got like you know naked sex workers in his in his broom, and he kind of gets up and he like like shakes off all of the kinks and he like mm-hmm. you know you know stretches. Like he's a man twenty years younger, and the, but before he leaves, he kind of starts pretending to be decrepit again, mm-hmm. and that's not in the books. There's not. There's nowhere in the books where that it gives us sort of that little window into Pycelle's character. Yeah. 
Um, you kind of get the sense he's playing political games too, but he's always kind of playing the daughtered. You never have him with sex workers, right? So right. he's not really a man of sexual appetite. But I had completely forgotten about this little part in the book. And I think, in retrospect, this little details maybe what inspired that part of the show. Mm. Yeah. He's the kind of guy who will, like, pretend to be examining Sansa, but in reality, he's assaulting her. Mm-hmm. He's a total perv. But I don't think that this is – I think it's. I think that the showrunners are making – obvious what was sort of done kind of subtly in the book yeah i think that might be right and like it is it's literally just one line no real description of what happened no real description of what sansa was doing other than the fact that she was being held down which tells us that like she was resistant to whatever was happening at some point right yes and i think that that's like just base level anyone who's in some sort of like a doctor position uh examining a a child who's naked Mm -hmm. against their will is uh, is assault (laughs) and so it's like i yeah Yeah. the the show did this thing where yeah and i and i want to say that like i want to say that there was a deleted scene later in the show where like jamie or someone kind of like gives picelle a look of being like, I know that you're faking this, or maybe it's Tywin. I feel uh, like someone at some in some deleted scene, they kind of acknowledge that again. Interesting. And interesting. they decided to just sort of like never address it again because it was a sort of weird quirk that they hmm. like hmm. introduced to his character. Right. Um, but yeah, the idea that he is being just as duplicitous and um coming in to all of the like coming in and encountering all of these different people in the red keep with the intention of some sort of harm or some sort of like, you know, well, we just said like the King's landing is not a place where good people thrive. Right. right? And so for him to, and he's as much of a a creature of King's landing as anyone. Right. Yeah. You know, he's, he's doing, he's doing things that are politically advantageous for him. The fact that he's also this creepy guy is it, it just it's just more to his character, I suppose. Yeah. And we we shouldn't be surprised, but Right. It explains why he's been able to thrive in this <laughs> environment because he's kind of a rotten person inside. So yeah, like of right. course he's happy to be a part uh, of the court that is serving someone like King Joffrey. Sure. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah, fun times. I also, um, I feel like anytime I talk about Sansa now, I always feel the need to like go a little bit into the way that I used to not like her character. Mm -hmm. Um, Me too. I I read these books. (laughs) I read these books for the first time when I was 20. um, And I was totally that little shithead who was like, oh, Arya rules, Sansa drools. Like, Uh, I was the same shithead and I was older. Isn't that so, so sad? Uh-huh. <laughs> like, well, no. Here's here. I think that we should be be a little bit kinder to our previous selves, and here's why. I do think that we are intended by this book to love Arya, mm-hmm. and Arya is always being described in counter distinction to Sansa. Yeah, 
So the book is training us to love Arya and always, almost at every turn, showing us that Arya and Sansa are the opposites. Right. And of course, this is, you know, th- this book is told in first person, you know, limited perspective. And so everyone, in a sense, is a real unreliable narrator. And so we probably should have <laughs> been a little bit wiser, you know. But I, I think that there I think that there is something that's being done, and it's a little bit of trickery on Martin's part to kind of side with Arya against Sansa. And it isn't until I think this later part of the book that we realize things are just as complicated, if not more complicated, for Sansa. Right? Yeah. So I don't know. That's my take on it. What do you think? I think that you're right. And then I just kind of like zoom out even more and I'm like, okay, why would George do that? Or like, why is this a trope that we see in fantasy stories all the time of like badass little girl who like Mm -hmm. defies the patriarchy and is really brave and like, and like makes her own way in the world versus girl who's a sucker for the fairy tale story and like gets bit in the ass because of it basically and like it just makes me kind of as as someone who was once a young girl watching all of the disney princess movies Mm -hmm, and then grew mm -hmm. up and somehow when i first met a character like sansa in this book my reflex was to be like oh that's like she's being so lame i really wish that she like didn't care so much about boys and her pretty dresses. Mm -hmm. Like I want, I want the Aria character. And it's like, that's a, that's a narrative that was sold to me as a consumer of fiction that like a girl wanting a happily ever after ending Mm -hmm. um, is somehow not to be taken seriously or is somehow uh, not as important or significant or she's weaker than the girl who knows from a young yeah. age that that's BS and that she shouldn't dream about having a husband. She should dream about having a life. And like, mm-hmm. it just sucks that I, that, and like in my, like, I truly believe that was just internalized misogyny on my behalf that like at some point between being a kid who watched princess stories and then becoming a teenager, I absorbed this message that I shouldn't want to be like quote unquote basic or like I shouldn't Mm -hmm. I shouldn't dream of being a housewife because that's bad that's bad feminism good feminism is fighting the patriarchy and so I'm just so much more sympathetic to Sansa now as an older woman who understands more about like the crappy way in which people are trained to think about young Mm -hmm. girls who seem to be shallow quote unquote because of their interests and aren't treated with the same level of of seriousness. Yeah, I find this all very fascinating and I you know can I continue to kind of hold Arya as like a, a sort of a, a near and dear fictional character. Like I feel like she's my favorite. Mm-hmm. I feel like Arya is not just like my favorite in this book. I feel like she's one of the my one of the most favorite characters I've ever met in any work of fiction. Yeah. And I there is a part of me that wonders is part of the reason that I like her is that she presents in more masculine ways than, than Sansa is. Mm -hmm. You know, she's, she's often mistaken for a boy. She's the kind of person that you want to root for as an underdog because of all the reasons that, you know, that you were just talking about. And so I do wonder at times, like is part of my attraction to 
Arya because she presents in more traditionally masculine ways. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, I think that she's, I mean, I, I still love Arya deeply. Um, I think that she's incredible. And I think that you're exactly right about what you said initially about that George, George also clearly loves Arya and wants mm-hmm. us to love her and wants us mm-hmm. to really be a hundred percent behind every single thing that she's doing. Whereas because of the way that the chapters are written, um, we understand that Sansa has made a grievous error mm-hmm. at a very critical junction. Um, and I think that that leads a lot of people to think that she's she's to blame for Ned's death or that like Ned, w- the way that everything went down at King's Landing wouldn't have happened if Sansa wasn't in the position that she was. And I just, yeah, it's like Arya is definitely presented as this like masculine, more gender ambiguous i love that Maisie williams only just recently said in an interview like she thought aria was queer until mm, she got a script mm. that said she had sex with gendry she was like i always just assumed that that was like that she was sort of the the example of someone who wasn't fitting into any gender binary um sure i don't remember really what i felt in real time for that scene other than like slight it was just like I love that episode, A Night of the Seven Kingdoms. Um, it was It's one of the best episodes yeah. of the entire series. Yeah, it's it's my favorite for season eight for sure, probably up there in like top three for the whole series. And that was like one of the only moments that was I could tell was supposed to land with me in some sort of emotional uh-huh. way that just didn't. I was like, I don't really know why yeah. that was just inserted there. Um, mm-hmm. and her being like, I'm not the red woman, take off your own pants. And I was like, okay, <laughs> like, sure. Um, I don't know. And then poor Gendry, like tried to yeah. propose to her afterwards. And I was like, this is just a disaster. Yeah. Um, poor Gendry. Yeah. It was weird, but I like, <laughs> uh, I guess it's nice to have like enthusiastic consent for a mm-hmm. sex scene in a show like Game of Thrones for a change. Maybe they just wanted sure. us to have like one <laughs> nice moment uh-huh. that wasn't incest. Uh, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was weird. But then and then on the flip side, what they did with Sansa in season eight, I thought was incredible. Like seeing Sansa go from like wanting only nothing but to leave Winterfell and be in King's Landing and be a Mm. queen and have all these like courtly aspirations to get her to the point where she is fully running Winterfell. And Mm. like, she is the best representation of Ned Stark that they have of like really caring for all of her people. Like, you know, welcoming Theon back with open arms and a hot bowl Mm -hmm. of soup and like really being like the Stark leader. Um, I loved and like I loved Queen Sansa by the end and well the, and that was I was just recently reminded um by one of my guests that that those are the last words of the series you know, the Queen last, of the North the Queen of the North mm-hmm. is it's the way it ends mm. it's the way that her story ends and really I think that in the same way we're kind of trained to root for Arya we were kind of trained to root for the inhabitants of Winterfell. Yeah. Right? And so to see it kind of 
come full circle and, you know, under good governance is sort of it's it's not the happy ending that we all would have liked, but it's kind of the happy ending that we got. Mm-hmm. Right? So, And that's one thing that I'm very curious to know if George is is trying to head there with Sansa mm-hmm. or not. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't tell you if that's something that Benioff and Weiss just decided would be a great way to end her character on a note or if that's like somehow part of of the plan that right. they heard from George. But yeah, I don't know because it's so interesting because, you know, Sansa's narrative kind of gets conflated with Jane Poole's character. Right. Who's sort of the fake Arya up north. Right. So I don't it, it's it's hard to know what's gonna happen there. I, I had another guest, Stephanie Barbie Hammer. She was telling me that Sansa's always been her favorite character. Mm-hmm. And I kind of pressed her and said, So why? Tell me why. It's not my inclination at all. Like, I've I've come to appreciate her, but it's just not my natural inclination. Mm-hmm. And what Steph said was, Sansa's the only character in the show, or the only character in the books, that has no power but courtesy. Mm. Like, she just has... All she's got are the, the lessons that Septa Mordain told her. And so she's the only one that's sort of playing by the rules of court. Mm-hmm. And so she's stripped. She doesn't have any dragons. She doesn't have any, you know, wolf magic. She doesn't have any of that. Uh, She doesn't have political allies. All she has are her manners. Mm. And she's going to survive with her man. And eventually she, you know, she is going to become a, a political player with power. Right. But she's going to do it by playing by the rules of court. Mm. And uh, so I I thought that was an interesting way to look at her. And I think that the Hound kind of calls this back. Yeah. The little passage that I read earlier. He said, she says, what what does she want from me? Or what does Joffrey want from me? And he says, he wants you to pretend and recite all of the words that your Septa taught you. And if you you do that, then you can at least survive another day, you know? Yeah. so I, I, I really do think that he's kind of taking over that role as her advisor or guide or something. Yeah, I really love that point um, that you're saying your other guest brought up because that is so true. And we see that we see her figure out how to make that work as opposed. Mm. It's like she takes that memorization of courtesies and yeah. courtly behavior. And instead of like, despairing through that performance she eventually figures out how to wield that performance um yes and becomes more political savvy more politically savvy as she goes on and that's 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 totally true also yeah gosh when you say like she doesn't even have wolf magic for a second i was like well all the start kids and i'm like no they killed like lady killed lady lady was the first (laughs) to die for a reason like Uh Uh oh it really just left sansa out there on an island yeah um yeah. and it's pretty badass that she figures out how to get her way back she just does it in such a different way than her sister and i also right. think it's notable that the hound winds up serving a similar role for both of them in completely different capacities right like he helps he event he is sort of like the guiding force for sansa to be able to understand 
that she has to just play the part as a lady for a little while. Whereas with Arya, it's like he helps her understand more about like the brutalities and like the violence of oh, the he world. He teaches her to be a better killer. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, those two are so different, and yet they do have some interesting parallels. I I think that the thing that I most look forward to is that, and this is what I absolutely loved about season seven, but the thing that I most look forward to, if if we can get these books um, published, I, I think I would really love to see Sansa and Arya kind of come back together, both meet up and figure out how to be sisters. Mm -hmm. I feel like that, if I could get that resolution, I would be a pretty happy guy. Yeah, same. As someone with two sisters, I'm like, really, George, give us some nice... (laughs) Give us us something, some bit of hope. Some sisterly trauma recovery, please, would Mm -hmm. be great. (laughs) <laughs> all right so notable introductions to this chapter i didn't find many notable introductions you know we're toward the end of the book so i think we're done introducing things for the most part um but we do hear about joffrey's name day for the first time and that will be it'll become a, a, an important setting mm-hmm. for a, a later storyline mm-hmm. notable departures we knew that ned had departed the narrative uh, we find out in this bit of the story that also Septa Mordain mm. is is a de- departure. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then show differences. I kind of mentioned the Pycelle stuff already. Um, you know, he doesn't do this in the book. You know, this chapter has him inspecting her, uh, whatever that entailed. Uh, that doesn't happen in the show, but of course they bring in his perviness in other ways. Yeah. So, um, did you did you notice any other differences between the show and the this chapter? Not a lot. Like they obviously just sort of like uh, mashed all of Joffrey's kingly orders and oversights. I think just into the one example yeah. of the singer who gets right. to pick between his tongue and his fingers. And he makes him choose right then, I think in the show, whereas mm-hmm. he gives him one day in the book, but he cuts the hand off of someone else and imprisoned. Sure. And they basically just rolled like five horrible <laughs> acts yes. into one very straightforward, horrible act. But yeah, I just, I remember thinking that Sophie Turner just acted the crap out of, that scene up on the ramparts i remember really loving yeah she was amazing the way she, she does was... that with uh with jack leeson in that moment and yeah rory mccann Absolutely. is great as the hound yeah they really nailed i think that they managed to kind of i think give us enough of an internal sight to to what she was thinking in that moment without any dialogue sure in her interior in this book we kind of see her look out over the city, kind of seeing for the first time how big the city is, mm. and then imagining life beyond the walls to the north. Yeah. And then to the north, and to the north of that, and then to Winterfell. And I think that this is a really important point for her character because in previous chapters, the north represented sort of like 
the place where she was never going to truly become a queen. Yeah. And she she just couldn't imagine. She you know, Ned wanted to take her back home and she was like it's like my life is ending if you take me back home. Mm. And her whole life is wrapped up in the the prospect of marrying the king and living in King's Landing. And now for the first time she she just wants to see what's beyond the walls. Yeah. She's she just She's been forced into like a 180 of now mm-hmm. the the prospect of actually having to marry Joffrey. Yes. Is tantamount to like her wanting to just die and the fact that her father is dead and that she feels like she has no way of ever seeing Winterfell again. That was another, I I wrote down this line too, when she finally takes a bath and she says the hot water made her think of the hot water made her think of Winterfell and she took strength from that. So like Mm -hmm. she is now drawing emotional power from Winterfell in a way that she didn't before because she didn't understand how meaningful that home was to her until she felt like she doesn't have it anymore. And this place where she thought would be her, her home and her salvation Mm -hmm. for the rest of her life is actually hell. That's right. That's right. The one other thing I wanted to say about this chapter was there was this little moment when she realizes that Cersei has been lying to her because he says, you really are stupid, aren't you? Mother, mother's word that our children are going to be mm. stupid too, and she's like shocked. You know, she says something like, "She did. She said that," mm-hmm. and it almost hurts more that Cersei thinks that than the fact that Joffrey would say it. Yeah, it's very much sort of like I thought I had an ally in Cersei. I think I thought she was going to teach me how to be a queen. I thought she had my best interests in mind. Uh, now I see that I have no one. Yeah, I, I I am totally alone here. Yeah, and that's like that's the that's the brutality of internalized misogyny, right? The way that mm-hmm. women will can be just as oppressive to other women. Um, it is really hard when you realize that for the first time, I think again, like I, that's, that's also part of why I feel so badly for the way that I used to think of Sansa. Cause I was like, God, like one of my team Cersei over here, like, yeah, Sansa is so stupid. Like, God, it's so terrible, but that's a reality. And so I, uh-huh. I think that George, George does that well of Sansa, like realizing like, oh, this queen that I thought was like you said, my mm-hmm. ally, my mentor in this place also does also just thinks of me as a thing that Joffrey can breed. And if my kids are stupid, they'll both kill me. Like, God. Oh, yeah. 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 And I think that the way that this book ends, you know, we have Arya spirited away by Yorin almost to the point where like, okay, I think Arya is going to be okay. I think Mm -hmm. she's going to be fine. I'm not sure what's going to happen to Sansa. And I and I you almost feel more fear for Sansa at this point than Arya. Yeah. And I I do think that it's notable that George like we see the execution from Arya's perspective and obviously we see like her instant reaction to it, but then like that kind of gets interrupted with Yorin like mm. coming at her and chopping off her hair and you don't really understand quite like what's going on there and then we get 
we go to Bran. So then like we see Bran get the news, but that chapter ends right after he gets the news. And then Sansa is like the first chapter where we're actually seeing an extended period of grief for one of the Stark kids of like Mm -hmm. what it Mm -hmm. means that Ned is dead, like what that means to her, um, what that means for her mental health and like her ability to live at this point. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that that is, that is notable that the first, like we are absolutely supposed to be empathizing with her in this moment because we, the reader are also grieving for Ned. And this is like the longest time that we get to sit with a character who's grieving for him in the same way. Yeah, that's true. That's totally true. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but we we, we really don't see. I mean, we get a we get a bit of that from Rob. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but this is sort of. You're right. This is the most time we get to spend grieving for Ned. Yeah. Right. Oh well, Kim. Thank you so much. This has been a delight. And um, I would love to have you back whenever you're interested in coming back. Yeah, thank you so much. It's nice to revisit. Sure thing. These books. Now, for folks, for folks who would like to follow you, um, and you know, follow your reporting of House of the Dragon, where can they find you online? Um, so I recently abandoned Twitter. So sorry if <laughs> if anyone once mm-hmm. found me there. So if you just go to insider.com um, and search for like. Kim Renfro you'll find all my articles and stuff um and that's pretty much the and you'll be covering House of the Dragon I will yeah pretty much in the same way that I covered Game of Thrones I hope um okay we'll see we'll see what level of of reader interest there is there but I plan on doing the same types of like deep dives hopefully some interviews um all the fun details references you missed and yeah, should it should be. I'm I'm so excited and also very curious just to kind of like see how this season goes. So right. I'm rolling right. rolling with the punches as we head Absolutely. into August. We're getting geared up for the sixth annual summer badass fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy. We've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints, except it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was, and those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim, order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar, then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. 
the thrills of King's Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. For this week's Bird's Eye View, I want to revisit the topic of Brienne. In my conversation with Kim, we talked about the Season 8 episode, A Night of the Seven Kingdoms. And I thought I would include a short conversation between Steve and I about the Brienne scene. So here's an excerpt of my conversation with comic Steve Osborne. A third of the way through the final season, and I'm feeling good. You know what I mean? Like, I feel good. I will say, uh, whenever I hear people disparage the final season, and I'm feeling a little optimistic, I think back to the moment that Jamie says, You don't need a king. Any knight can make another knight. I'll prove it. Kneel. Lady Brienne. Do you want to be a knight or not? Neil. She looks at Pod. Pod doesn't say anything. Pod just looks back at her like, like, do it. Like, like she and Pod have this sort of just visual shorthand now. Yeah. And you really believe this relationship between Jamie and and Brienne is that kind of intimacy. And it's not romantic. It doesn't need to be romantic at this point. It's like, no, these guys are... These two people really respect one another. And Jamie's finally clued in that that she's every bit his equal, right? Right. I needed that. It's a wish that's so deep in her. That she, she's afraid to even name it, right? She tries right. to play it off and say, I, I don't even really want to be a knight. Even though she's been saying her whole, you know, she's been <laughs> saying throughout the last seven seasons that don't call me lady. I'm not a lady. I'm not a lady. Right, right. But people don't really know what to call her. Right. And, and like, so deep down, she she knows she wants to be called Sir Brienne. And here Jamie is kind of fulfilling this wish that she that's so deep in her she can't even name i look back on that scene and i think yeah but season eight had that scene sure and i'm so glad that scene exists and so the fact that season eight has little scenes like that makes me think let's not paint it with the same brush so i and so i feel like it's so here's another thing and this is now we're getting pretty meta probably but like i think season finales almost have to be treated as their own genre Hmm. Um, because you can hear my full interview with Steve about this episode over at double dragon do a search for double dragon wherever you search for podcasts and that is all for this week